Welcome to Citizens Insight, the Citizens Party's interview series on matters of national and international importance. Today, the coward banks are crushing cash and competitors. And our guest today is Paul Thomas, the owner of a cash and transit company called Commander Security. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Robbie, for having me. No, very glad to have you. This is going to be an important discussion today because you've had an experience that too many people are having in Australia and it goes to the heart of the abuse of power by the big banks. Um, two years after the Royal Commission, Banking Royal Commission, it may, not, may as well not have happened. So Paul, let's just talk a bit about yourself to introduce you to the viewer. You're a cash and transit business. Um, yeah. Pretend I know nothing. What does that mean? Sure. Well, we're, we're a, um, I, I class myself as a boutique style service where I go a bit above and beyond what that of our competitors do. We provide um, same day banking services to customers where we'll pick up their banking requirements from their premises and deliver it on their behalf to their uh, nominated bank of choice or the bank that they deal with. Um, and we also provide a change service. We do ATM replenishment services, uh, change supply, even down to the point of foul cargo movements. Um, and even we do a bit of pharmaceutical movements of Schedule 4 and Schedule 8 pharmaceutical products. Okay, so you have all the security equipment, uh, transportation, etc., and you provide that. You're, you're a smaller version of Armaguard and those sort of businesses, right? That's correct. I'm a small, smaller version of Armaguard, family-owned, operated, that yeah. goes a bit above and beyond that of our competitors where we offer that little more yeah. personalised service. That's the way someone like you gets to compete with those bigger players. So, Paul, I, th I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think um, uh, you met the Citizens Party on when we were having our fight on the cash ban in 2019 or maybe a bit before on, on the question of bail-in. Um, and, of course, you got involved in that campaign, didn't you? Yes. Um, yeah, I first came to light of the Citizens Party back in the, uh, the days when the cash ban was first introduced because, like that, that, that was something that was going to affect our industry. And, of course, out of everyone in, this, in the cash and transit industry, I never really saw anyone take up aim or fight. Uh, I was pretty much, I felt, running solo as a cash and transit operator here in, in Australia trying to fight that bill alongside you guys at the Citizens Party. Well, and can we say, after 18 months of fight with the support of people like yourself, we won, just to remind people, December last year, the cash ban, $10,000 cash ban law was, was dropped from Parliament. Um, but not, not before there was a big fight. Now, we're going to talk about what's happened to you, which is you have been debanked. But before we talk about your case... You were bringing to us this question of debanking because it was happening to your customers. And before we get into the, in, into the specifics of that, I want to play a clip. Now, this was part of the cash ban fight. This is from the December 2019 Senate, Senate um, Economics Legislation Committee hearing into the cash ban law. And the Small Business Ombudsman's Office was testifying. And I want to play this little two-minute clip where... They raise out of the blue that there's this phenomenon happening to businesses. So just watch this. But we're coming across a number of situations where banks are actually removing people from their books. So we, we call it debanking. 
Um, so, for example, it, sorry, what? Uh, debanking, debanking, so not okay. offering services. Sure. So, so this could be you know, your point of sale equipment, mm -hmm. but this can also be you know, even holding a, an account with the bank. Uh, and it's happening across a number of industries where we've seen some of it's um, news agents, um, some of it's adult services uh, and, and other industries as well. So um, we've seen uh, examples of people associated with tattoo parlours or gun shops also being de debanked as well. So for social... Uh, conscience reasons, are you um, saying? Or? We are having trouble fathoming exactly for what reason, Senator. So okay. Why you would try to actually debank legitimate businesses. So, so uh, in, that, in that respect, it would be quite legitimate for businesses to try and debank banks <laughs> because they certainly have a, an awful track record. And the government is, in effect, forcing people to use these very entities that engage in abhorrent commercial conduct. I think the key here, Senator, is that if a bank refuses to deal with a particular business um, and the business needs to make transactions of over $10,000, requiring a business to deal with an entity that won't deal with them puts that business in an impossible position. OK, I see your point. That's a very good point. OK. OK, so that's, a, that's an explanation of debanking. And as you saw, Senator Patrick is rather surprised and makes the, what, you know, the, the obvious point that if the banks are using... Um, you know, uh, moral reasons to debank businesses that are in the on the fringes of morality, like sex shops, adult stores, but also as the small business guy says, it's also news agents, etc. Rex Patrick says, well, if the banks if the banks are using those reasons, then businesses should be able to debank the banks because they're the ones that have that have um, shown by that their behaviour has been the worst. Um, but, Paul, it struck me that the small business ombudsman of, official there says that they don't know really why the banks are doing this. Because from our conversations with you at that time and with other people, you were bringing up to us examples of debanking that seem to be exclusively happening in the area of the financial system that's an alternative to the banks, namely the cash area, gold and silver bullion dealers, uh, Bitcoin traders, anything that, the, that are alternatives to the banks. And in your case, you were noticing it happening in a section of your customers that are remittance companies. So explain how they work and what was happening to them. Okay, so a majority of our customers are remittance companies where they'll take money from families who are living here in Australia that want to send money back overseas to support families and relatives in an, uh, that, that need assistance overseas. What we've noticed over, and it's been happening, I'm told, since 2013 progressively, where remittance companies have one by one been having their accounts knocked off uh, and closed um, by each one of the larger, larger banks. Now, these remittance companies were all with the four major banks that yep. we know of. Um, so then they subsequently moved to the smaller banks and the credit unions, and they're all now following the same suit to the point now I have a customer that can't get a bank account and is literally facing having to close her business. So last year, at the end of last year, the ABC did a story on this and they pointed out, um, and I think one of the cases they pointed out was one of your customers, but a, a country like Lebanon, people might be surprised to find out, relies on something like for, on, on cash remittances from overseas for something like 30% of its national income. It's an extraordinary amount of money. So this is, this is actually a big deal. People 
immigrants, immigrants work hard in a country like Australia because they're supporting their family here and their families back home. But for some reason, I'm, I'm, I find this surprising, but you may have an explanation. The banks actually provide remittance services as well, but these smaller remittance companies are just better at it. They do it quicker, right? They do. They're, they're a much quicker turnaround. Like, for example, um, funnily enough, it, it, it was Westpac. I was in the queue waiting to do some banking for one of my clients at Westpac branch, and it was just before Christmas, and a lady walked in wanting to um, deposit or send some cash overseas, and the response from the teller was, sorry, we can't do that now. We can't guarantee anything. You'll need to use a remittance company. So, and then they turned to me because they know that I service remittance companies and asked, who would you recommend? Hey, <laughs> and, and ironically enough, it's like, well, yeah, you, you, you don't want to do remittance, but you want to wipe out remittance. But how are these families that want to get money back in a legitimate sense to their families overseas supposed to do that? Well, and, and the, of course, in this particular area, the official concern is the anti-money laundering counter-terrorism financing law, AMLCTF, that, that um, you know, cash is used for... We know cash... I mean, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous thing to observe. It's like saying the sun comes up in the morning. Yes, cash is used in crimes, but so is everything else used in crimes. But because the big banks have got in trouble in this area, because of their own failings... They have used that as an excuse to target these kind of companies they say are higher risk. Yet you know, right, Paul, that these companies, your customers, they're in full, unlike the banks, they're in full compliance with the AMLCTF laws. Yes, correct. Every one of our customers goes through the, uh, the stringent process that Austrac put them through in order to become compliant. They have to have their yearly audits. They have to have legal representation to go through the audit process and signed off. And then they get their compliance certificates. Um, yet they're still being targeted and the banks are, are not acknowledging that the fact that they're Austrac compliant, I think it's more the fact that banks are nervous about where the money's going to end up once it's in international waters, so to speak. And that's the reason why they're targeting these remittance companies. Well, that's the excuse they use. And one of the other, one of the other regulations that's sort of the more common one people might be aware of is that you disclose any amount over $10,000, um, and that's standard practice. And that, that, of course, is what the banks weren't doing with their own bookkeeping, right? But these, all these companies have targeted have been doing that. So we've seen that happening in a big way. Remittance companies are effectively being targeted and wiped out, and that's a, that's a real problem for the communities that rely on them. Um, we'll, we may talk about some other cases in a second, but let's talk about your case now, because you've, you've gone on an incredible... Uh, journey here in the last few months. So as someone who was involved in campaigning to save the cash system and in blowing the whistle on uh, debanking, suddenly you found yourself debanked by Westpac last year. How did it happen? I, I honestly don't know. I never in a million years thought I would be in the position that I am today. Uh, given the associations and the relationship that I had with Westpac and meetings I had with senior officials at Westpac to discuss opportunities of a commercial wholesale arrangement um, that Westpac have gone out um, different to all the other banks and offering to smaller security companies like ourselves. It appears they've just gone out, picked and cho chosen who they wanted to use 
and everyone else is no sorry that service is no longer being offered etc um and yeah it was october i never forget the date it was october 14 when i got the correspondence in the post saying that my first it was my business accounts uh all being closed and uh how much notice did they give you they got, by the time i got the letter it was just under two weeks yeah and and it's just it's really not enough like mind you it took 10 days for the letter to get to me yeah um and then um I didn't know what was going on. It threw me into a turmoil. I was about to go away for a week. Uh, so I spent a holiday in panic-stricken mode trying to work out how am I going to operate my business? How am I going to keep trading? Uh, what am I going to do? Because Westpac uh, was the unique provider uh, aside, uh, away from the other uh, three banks that were offering the different types of services. What excuse did they give you? They reserve the right under their terms and conditions um, to close uh, to um, no longer offer financial services. But in my particular case, the reason they've given is uh, we reserve the right to withdraw financial services for reasons of unsatisfactory conduct or any other matter we deem appropriate. Which is, uh, uh, you know. That's a that's a um, a license to do what they want. A clause like that, of course. That's pretty pretty much the case, and and we've challenged them on the unsatisfactory conduct, <clears throat> and to date they've not come back to us with one iota of information or response. And wasn't it true that um, the people at Westpac you're dealing with and used to dealing with had no explanation for this, and they could only refer to some unnameable entity in the organisation making these decisions. That's, that's correct. It was termed to me they're the faceless division. Faceless division. The faceless division is the one that's responsible uh, for uh, what's, what's occurring to me or the debanking process or withdrawing financial services to customers. So initially, Paul, you were told it was your business account and then it went further. It did. For about four weeks later, like in the meantime, I wrote a quite a lengthy letter, a five-page letter to the um, CEO, Peter King of Westpac, and subsequently copied all the board members in as well, sent them off all individually um, by registered post, never once got a response. Um, then uh, four weeks later, they hit me starting with my personal accounts. And when I say personal accounts, it's my mortgage, which is jointly owned between my sister and I. Uh, for a property that we live at, uh, joint uh, account between my partner and I, uh, my personal accounts, my credit cards, my life insurance, my income protection and my superannuation, all targeted for closure. Now, that when you told me that, I remember being flawed but not totally surprised because um, what we'd already picked up in this area of debanking is that the bank's there's, there's two aspects to how far the banks are willing to go. And we, we likened it to the mafia, where you, they don't just kill you, they kill your family, they kill your dogs and your pets, etc. Because we, I know another case here in Melbourne where the, the, the gentleman who has a bullion company, Michael Kukulka, uh, the banks debanked him, they debanked his business, they debanked his personal accounts, credit cards, etc. all the same. They debanked his parents because they were associated with him and they debanked his employees. <clears throat> um, 
And you're like, why are the banks prepared to do this? And then the other aspect of it is he got put on some kind of a list where he wasn't just debanked by one bank, he was debanked by all banks. And in order for his business to survive, he's had to keep going through lists of banks to see who else he could get to actually provide him banking services because you cannot, I mean, can you actually function in the modern economy without a bank account? And, and you can't. No, you actually absolutely can't. So this is this kind of behaviour by the banks is just appalling, t- targeting someone um, like yourself. And um, what was the impact? T- tell us a little bit about the toll it had on you, having you know being subjected to this. It knocked me for six. Uh, like as my mum, my mum's used the term. You're you're a dead man walking. Mm. Um, and to be quite to be quite truthful, she's correct. Um, they've targeted me. That they're, they're closing everything down. The thing that's frustrating is it it's unknown why. Um, all I want is to know why, because not once have any of these uh, banks, or uh, I shouldn't say banks, it's just the one, Westpac and St George, its subsidiary, um, have never approached me for any sort of issue or uh, compliance problem uh, with transactions in and out of any of my accounts whatsoever. Um, but it did knock me for six. I've now at a point it, where I'm now comfortable and I'm, I'm, I've mellowed out a lot to what I was because initially I was quite stressed. Um, I didn't know if the business was going to survive. I didn't know if I was going to have to uh, bankrupt myself, um, liquidate the business, sell everything off that I'd worked so hard for the last five years to, to get established where we were starting to go places. Um, it was just a kick in the guts that I just didn't expect. And it, yeah, it, it sent me into a dismal dive. And how long have you been banking on any, all kinds of banking with this particular institution and its subsidiaries? Okay, West, Westpac, um, I've, had, I've held a credit card, private uh, personal credit card with Westpac for approximately uh, maybe 12, 13 years. Um, my personal accounts that I have with St. George, 29 years. 29 and, uh, years. And the business accounts with Westpac were transitioned in 2017. And so they just turn around and can cut you off like that, despite yes. you being a loyal customer for that long. Yep. All right. Well, um, uh, I can t- attest, Paul, that you've been on quite an, a, an emotional roller coaster since this happened, and there's been some very bad days, but there's actually been some good days because certain there's been some signs of um, a light at the end of the tunnel at, at times. And one of the people that has actually stood up to help you here is One Nation Senator Malcolm Roberts and his aide, Richard, who's, who's, who's done a great job. So Malcolm Roberts has taken up your case twice now in Senate estimates, which is the twice yearly questioning that the, that the uh, senators get to do of people in different gov- areas of government. And he's taken up your case with APRA. What we want to do now, we're going to play a six-minute clip of the last Senate estimates hearing a few weeks ago where Malcolm Roberts raises your case with the, the chairman of APRA, Wayne Byers, and, and gets Byers, reminding Byers that he raised you before and has given Byers time to think about it. And you'll see Byers answer, and, and, and at first he's, um, well, he's effectively taking the bank's side in it, saying it's the bank's right, but we'll just watch the whole thing and then I'll get your reaction. 
Last October, I raised with you the issue of debanking and used the case of Paul Thomas's cash in transit business commander security, an Austrac and AML compliant organisation that had their business accounts closed by Westpac and then was refused business banking across the whole banking sector. Wayne Byers, uh, Chair, you promised to look at it, look into it. Two weeks after estimates, Westpac gave notice that they were now closing his personal account with St George Bank, which he'd had for 30 years, a joint account, also closing a joint account he has with a business partner, and ending withdrawal rights he has on a major, on a joint venture, sorry, a joint mortgage account he has with a relative. Did you look into his case, as you said? So I think the, the issue uh, is one in which um, uh, you have a bank that has been um, found to not be adhering to its AML responsibilities. Uh, the bank um, uh, has therefore uh, looked very closely at um, its frameworks, its standards, its controls around um, detecting and preventing anti-money laundering and has made some decisions about whether it thinks um, customers, uh, including um, probably the case you are referring to, but um, can be safely banked and allow the bank to satisfy itself that it is meeting its obligations. And they have come to the decision that um, that is a customer that they don't think they can um, meet those obligations for. He's an AML compliant. Yeah. I can only tell you that's, the, that's okay. their decision. So it looks like Westpac really got him well and truly. Now, all banks use the same risk management company. Being debanked by one bank means being debanked by all the banks, even the COBA banks. So what is this man, Paul, supposed to do now? His customers need him to resupply their non-bank ATMs in clubs and pubs. Where is the appeal mechanism in these debanking cases? Who do they turn to? We're seeing a bank competitor here being debanked, wiping out a, a competitor. Um, so I'm not sure of your reference, Senator, to all banks use the same risk management company. Um, same same uh, company that assesses their the risk for um, money laundering and so on? Um, I, I think there's more than one and, it, and ultimately it's an individual bank's responsibility. They can't outsource that responsibility. Um, yes, there are suppliers of systems that help banks uh, do that, but there's more than one. Um, so it's a difficult, it is a difficult question. Um, and I don't, pretend, I, I don't pretend that uh, there's an easy answer to it. Uh, but banks do have their obligations. They have to adhere to them and they do need to, uh, and it's quite clear there will be significant penalties if they do not. And APRA has its responsibilities too because these banks are shutting down whole industries potentially. Um, yes, but I, I, in this particular case where we're dealing with a bank that is um, uh, seeking to comply with the law that's administered by another agency, it's difficult for us to intervene uh, in that issue. Well, AFCA refused to hear these cases. They don't hear anti-money laundering cases. So I wanted to discuss this issue with AFCA at estimates, but they refused to attend estimates. The concept of anti-money laundering, sorry, the concept of being held accountable for their actions was too much for them to handle, apparently. So I repeat my question, what do these businesses and their employees do now? 
Uh, I don't have a I don't have a uh, an answer to that question other than to um, uh, other than to try and seek to understand what are the issues or the nature of the business that has caused the concern. Could could my office contact yours? Uh, yeah, ab absolutely happy. When, when I look through the companies, Senator Roberts, this will be, need to be the last question. When I look through the companies that are being debanked, I see they are competitors of the banks, remittance companies, Bitcoin and digital currency vendors, gold bullion dealers, cash handling companies that supply non-bank ATMs with cash. Why is APRA allowing the banks to increase their market power by debanking their customers? Well, it's their, not, their we're not Sorry. allowing uh, banks to do, or disallowing banks from doing anything. Um, the issue that is at the heart of this, uh, and as you say, it's not just this particular company, but it's, it's remittance services and other things, is the potential for cash transactions, or transactions, sorry, to be occurring anonymously, uh, and that make it difficult, therefore, for the banks to satisfy their obligations to Austrac, and therefore they have to make a, a business decision about whether they wish to bear that risk. And in many cases, in the light of the experience of two major banks who've had very large penalties levied on them, um, clearly they are making sure they are compliant with the law. Senator Can I just add one, one little follow-up? Very, very quickly. Thank you, Chair. Even Paul uh, Jeptovic at Austrac has said, don't debank these people in the name of Austrac. If this is in response to AML legislation, why have you not asked Treasury to review that legislation to correct this unintended consequence? And isn't this an unconscionable contact? Conduct. Well, Senator, we can only comment on what's in our purview. And as the Chair has indicated, we don't make directions for banks to um, have particular customers or not have particular customers, but they do have to adhere to the laws that abide uh, all entities. Isn't it unconscionable conduct to wipe out a competitive, uh, we, competing we, industry? Well, unconscionable. All right, so, Paul. What's happened since that hearing? Um, well, where do I start? <laughs> um, there, there's a lot happening behind the scenes with that hearing. Um, I believe there's certain parties have been in contact with, uh, with Senator Roberts since that hearing. The, the comments made by um, Wayne Byers, I don't agree with uh, in relation to it's the bank's compliance requirements. Uh, in respect to my case alone, yeah. um, only for the fact the work that I was doing that I no longer have is being conducted by my competitor who has a wholesale commercial arrangement with the bank um, where the bank stands to earn more out of the transactions that are going through their account than my account. So let's just, let's just be clear on that. Let's just be clear on that. Compliance means the bank's concerned that the area of business you're in could be a risk to their compliance with the law. But as you point out, well, they're doing the same business with other people that are your competitors, but you know because of the arrangement the bank has with those competitors, they get a bigger cut from them than they get from you. Correct. They, they get to have a facility that with, with reserves that are held at their depots, um, whereas I have to facilitate my, my requirements through a branch network. So ultimately, it costs the bank more money with me having to use a branch network, um, whereas right. they earn more money from our competitor uh, with the funds going through their facilities. Now, I still want to talk about more about the upshot of this, this hearing, but just on what you just said, you were given advice, um, I believe, from the RBA 
or, or, or somebody that you could get your own facility with the RBA to be able to continue conducting your business, I believe. But then when you explored that, ultimately it came down to only the big four banks get that kind of direct access to the RBA. Uh, sort of, yes. I, when, when I made the inquiries with the RBA, they came back to me and said, because I'm a cash in transit provider, uh, I have the capabilities of being able to work with a bank to be able to establish that setup, that wholesale commercial arrangement setup. However, to achieve it, one of the four banks must sponsor you. <laughs> um, and, that, and that's where it comes undone. That's exactly where it comes undone. And it, that legislation changed, according to the representative from the RBA, about 10 years ago, where it was put into the hands of the banks. Whereas prior to that, I believe, from my interpretation of what he was implying, uh, was that it was the discretion of the RBA to uh, sponsor and uh, set companies up with that commercial wholesale arrangement. So the big four banks have a monopoly in this area. But back to what you were saying earlier, um, given that Wayne Byers is so clearly wrong in what he said to Malcolm Roberts there about your case, because it cannot, your case cannot be a compliance case, we are now getting to an interesting possibility in your particular case that while the general point about banks targeting people in the non-banking sphere is true, in your case there may actually be unfair competitive practices that the banks are involved in with your competitors. And I believe some of these competitors in the past have tried to buy you out, right? Um, one of them, yes, following a meeting that I had with one of the representatives of Westpac. At the time, I didn't think anything of it. I was approached via LinkedIn um, through messages. Yep. It was just the fact that a couple of years later, um, another security company, which I won't mention their name, but they're based here in New South Wales, um, had similar meetings as I did with the representative from Westpac uh, in respect to wholesale commercial opportunities. And subsequently, that representative vanished, like he did with me, yeah. um, only to then have a week and a half, two weeks, within a week and a half, two weeks, a knock on the door from a current uh, sponsored commercial wholesale arrangement approaching the managing director of that company approaching them saying would you like to sell your business <laughs> and it it rang alarm bells when I heard that story so I went back through my correspondence and it was the same week that I reached re, reconnect tried to reconnect with um, the Westpac representative that I got approached so and then I thought I put two and two together thinking this, this smells like a fishy, fishy, um, yeah, fishy yeah. sort of situation. So this gets into a very murky area. Um, and, and of course, this is, this is um, we're talking about potentially real breaches of the law and, and competition law and, and um, potentially those kinds of things, which I'm sure there's lots of small businesses around Australia. Um, uh, if they're watching this, would be thinking, well, yeah, we've, we've, we've had our own versions of that of that kind of um, experience. But Paul, you're now taking legal action against Westpac. Just describe um, how that's going. Very slow. 
I'm going day by day with the whole process. Uh, it's the only way that I can. Like, like you said, and you described, it's an emotional roller coaster that I'm riding. Um, where the, the hearing date that's set for us is the 29th of this month, um, where we should have some sort of uh, answer as to what the story is, like where we are suing them for unfair contract terms. Yeah. Um, I can't go into many specifics of the case because I don't want to jeopardise uh, sure. the, the process. Um, but we, we are progressing quite nicely. Uh, with with everything um, and the evidence um, that we've that we've managed to get together um, is quite is quite substantial. Does it feel like David versus Goliath? It does, it does. I I, I I'm now on it. I've spent nearly sixty seventy thousand dollars of money. That could I afford it? No, but I'm doing it out of principle's sake now because. I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing illegal. If I've undertaken unsatisfactory conduct or if I've partaken in any, any illegal activities, I wouldn't be sitting here having this interview with you right now. Yeah. I'd be in a four by four cell. Um, my business would be closed. My security license is revoked. Yeah. Um, my, I'm a justice of the peace. That would have been revoked. Yeah. Um, business firearms, all confiscated. So where are the authorities if I've done unsatisfactory conduct? They're not here because there is no such thing. Yeah. But just, um, uh, you know, just a statement of reality in this area of law, unfortunately, because it is David versus Goliath, the good side of that is David won in David versus Goliath. So you've always got to have hope. But, but the yeah. other side of it, we know, we know the history of the, of the big four banks in Australia and they can just wait people out. Um, and because if it's already cost you seventy thousand dollars, you don't have you don't have uh, bottomless pockets. Um, no. And what the banks th- th- this is this was the um, you would have been one of the, st- the statistics if this happened to you before the banking royal commission. And at a certain point, that that those cases got so um, numerous that there was overwhelming demand. We've got to have a royal commission. But two years later, they've got away with murder, right? They know they've dodged a bullet, but they don't care and. Um, they, by their behaviour, there's very little sign they've actually uh, learnt, learnt any lessons in terms of the way they treat bit customers, business customers, etc. But um, the fact that you've even taken up this fight, though, Paul, is very important. It's why in a press release we put out about you, we, we said um, you're fighting back in the war on cash because so few people actually do fight back. You're up against a giant... Um, uh, uh, monopoly here with the with the big four banks, um, an oligopoly, and yeah, they 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 like to to crush their um, the the people who take them on. However, you're doing it in a context now, and in that context, you know we're having political victories, etc. And the things that when you do fight like you are, um, you, you at least get to identify the kind of behaviours that are being used against you, etc. So that even if it may not bear fruit in your case, it helps add to the to the uh, the general understanding of how bad the banks are and that can contribute to a political solution. So that's a bit, little bit long-winded but I just wanted to end on a political note because I know <laughs> um, uh, in, in this whole time that we've been, that you've been having this discussion that you've, you've kept raising to me a recurring theme. So what have you concluded? 
is the long-term solution to this problem of the private banking monopoly abusing its power like this. The Australia Postal Bank, to bring fairness back to the Australian people and to bring these bastards back into line. Yep. A, po a postal bank, just to give you some of the details, a postal bank that we advocate and we've got legislation for, because it's a publicly owned entity, will not be allowed to discriminate. It cannot just turn around and debank customers. That would not be allowed. It's not a private banking decision, it's a service. So straight away, this could never happen. If it happened to the, if the private banks want to act this way, people like Paul would just be able to go straight to a postal bank, to the postal bank and set up operations there. The postal bank would also be committed to keeping the cash payment system alive. And we know in the case of what um, the, the reforms Christine Holgate who is a campaign we're fighting at the moment, uh, the reforms she did, the banking reforms she did for, for the post offices, part of those reforms was supporting the cash payment system, right? So it would be a, a lawful step to go from that to a postal bank that actually kept the cash payment system permanently alive. And the, the big banks can do what they like to cash. No, they wouldn't be able to kill it because the postal banking system would keep it alive. And so a system like that, um, well, just, you know, you can see why you would, you would be uh, attracted to it, Paul, based on your experience. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I, I would jump there in a heartbeat. Um, and it would actually probably help me grow the business again. And uh, like a lot of my customers are all, whilst I've got loyal customers and they're sticking by me, a lot of them are wondering what's going to happen outside of whatever the outcome is with with our legal case. Yeah. Um, like I say to them, I'm just taking a hiatus. Just wait for the postal bank and I'll be back. Okay, <laughs> good. Well, on that optimistic note, Paul, thanks for joining us. This has been, and thanks for speaking out. You know, like I said, the fact you've you've um, fought back in the war on cash is really, really valuable. It, it, it helps to unmask the the, uh, the, the beast that we're up against in this, in this banking monopoly. So thank you very much for doing that. You have our full support. Um, we're, we're more than happy to publicise the, the, the way your fight is going. We'll include a link below that people can click on and go to your specific page about this where you have more details, etc. right? Um, and yeah, people, please follow, follow Paul's case. Help other people follow Paul's case. Share this video because this is very important. There's, there's a... Paul's case will resonate with a lot of Australians, whether they're concerned about the power of banks, whether they're concerned about the cash, you know, the, the, um, the war on cash that's going on, whether banks are aggressively taking down ATMs all over the place, shutting down branches all over the place, etc. Um, you know, we see that sort of thing happen, you feel powerless. Uh, we're fighting it politically. Paul's someone who, um, at a personal level, because it's happened to his business, has decided to fight it in the legal system and he deserves all the support um, he can get. So thanks for doing that, Paul. We'll, we'll monitor the, the fight as it goes. Thanks for your support for us because that's been instrumental in helping us to win the, thing, the, the campaigns like the cash ban. And um, yeah, let's hope that sometime in the not too distant future, you and I and everyone in the Citizens Party will be celebrating a postal bank. Exactly right. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thank you.